0: You know, our lives do have inflection points, don't they? Where uh, the curve, the trajectory of our lives seems suddenly to turn. And families can have inflection points. Churches like CCC often have inflection points, and the the curve may bring them steeply downward or upward. Societies and cultures and whole civilizations, nation-states... Have inflection points. We're going to talk about one such inflection point in uh, in the development of God's plan of redemption and its implications for us today, individually, and at CCC. Would you turn with me to our uh, scripture text? It's in your bulletin. If you have your Bibles, please open them to uh, Joshua and uh, chapter three. We'll read the first four verses.
1: Early in the morning,
0: Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Thus far in God's word, let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, who's sufficient for these things? Only your Son, and by his Spirit, Lord, we are enabled to see insights into what you are doing among the nations, then and now. For, O God, you are gathering a people for yourself, from every tribe and nation and people and tongue, and what you did of old through Joshua is important because it has directly to do with us at CCC. Help us to understand that, and in our own lives as well. I pray for your Spirit's illumination. In Jesus' name, amen. My life has had some inflection points. Yours may have two. Perhaps you're going through one. Inflection points can be times of great joy and delight and discovery. They can also be times of bereavement and sorrow and great stress and difficulty. Inflection points are always accompanied by change. It's always been that way with God's people. It's that way now. I want to paint a picture for you, a picture in the desert. First of all, that God has delivered a a nation of slaves, the descendants of Abraham, to whom God had given the promise that that land of Canaan would one day belong to them. Now, for generations, they would found themselves slaves in Egypt. That in itself is quite a story. But God hears their groaning, and he sends Moses, one of them, though raised in Pharaoh's palace, back to them. And that's another story, a wonderful story of God's grace and deliverance and preparation of a leader, a leader who at age 40 in his strength and in the height of his uh, influence in the palace, thought he was ready to be Israel's deliverer and wasn't. And after 40 years of lowly shepherding, learning humility and servanthood, God called him from the flaming bush on the side of the mountain of Sinai and sent him to go back into Egypt to deliver his people. He was now 80. Over the hill? No. He would serve God another 20 years. And we're told that when he died, he was 120 years old and his eye was not dim. Mine already are. Nor his natural force abated. Mine was. I couldn't even preach last week. God used Moses. He called the children of Israel out of Egypt. Oh, what a story. Led them after the Passover meal where they put the blood of the lamb, you remember, on the posts of the door, and the angel of death took the firstborn of every Egyptian household, but passed by, passed over the households of the Hebrews and the Egyptians who believed them, with the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, And the first day of their new freedom, when Pharaoh said, leave, get out, we don't want you here anymore, they left armed for battle, knowing nothing about how to use these implements of battle. They were slaves. But they had weapons they were managing to leave with. A motley array of slaves led by Moses, with his staff, by which God had brought deliverance, sign after sign. And he leads them into the desert to a place where there are mountains, great, great mountains. That's why the place is called Migdal. It means a place of great mountains. On each side, they're through a mountain pass. And before them, square in their path, is the sea they can't cross that sea they look behind them and pharaoh has changed his mind and the horses and chariots of pharaoh have blocked off any retreat they are trapped and we don't read that the israelites bowed down in fervent prayer and said lord please deliver us no they immediately blame moses you led us into this mess So like that God says Stretch out your staff Moses said stand still See the salvation Of the Lord And God parts the sea You remember that This is background God brings out all Two million roughly Of the Hebrews There's 600,000 fighting men Between the ages of 19 and 59 20 and 60 By Hebrew reckoning and and because um, there's no year zero and so they cross the Red Red Sea and the pursuing Egyptians are engulfed by the returning tide of that sea and God brings victory over Pharaoh and his army and delivers his people and it's not long before they murmur because they're out of water and God brings water out of the rock. And we're told in the New Testament, the rock is Christ. It's representative. God's teaching his people through the experiences that they're going through. And they don't get it. Time after time, they don't get it. We don't get it. Then, of course, they were saying, we are starving, and God sends bread from heaven. He sends whats it to them. That's what it means, you know, manna in Hebrew. What is it? What is it? What's it? What's it? What's on the ground? Uh, it's manna. And it was not some normal, ordinary thing you get in the desert. Now, I, I can go into reasons for it. I can't. don't have time to do that now. But God fed them in the desert all the way until they crossed the Jordan. And that's next week's sermon, after they crossed the Jordan at Gilgal. You don't want to miss that. But here, God has brought them now and by the way, in between, they said, uh, we're tired of manna. Can you believe that? They have water, they have manna. It's sweet, it's coriander seed. They can fix it a number of ways. There's all kinds of manna recipes. I mean, as you know, it's not boring. We want meat. We had meat in Egypt. We ought to go back to Egypt where we could have meat. What? Slavery? They were saying that. Sometimes we look back. In our Christian lives, if we're honest and we say, Oh, I could have done that, I could have been that. No, friend, don't let yourself look back. Jesus said, The one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of heaven. And then God brings them to the mountain of Sinai, where he told Moses he would bring them. And that's nearly two years after they left Egypt, we're told. Two years, remember that. And there God gives them his law. You remember while Moses is receiving the law from God, they're saying, we don't know what's happened to him. We'll make ourselves a a calf. And Moses comes down and shatters those stones in in anger at what they've done against the Lord. And God says, stand back. Stand aside, Moses. I'm going to wipe them slick, and I'll start a new nation with you. And he says, what? Don't, Lord. Why? These people deserve... Your mercy. He didn't say that. They didn't. We don't either. That's not why God loves us. He loves us because of his grace to us in Jesus Christ with whom he's covenanted. And we are bound between the covenant with uh, between the Father and the Son. And we're his people engaged. Betrothed. We're his. And he won't let us go. That's why he's called a jealous God. Jealous for his honor. And that means he's jealous for us. God who won't let us go. Moses says, what will the people say? That he couldn't bring them into the land of promise? So God relents. And he says, uh, I'm not going to go with you anymore. I'll send my, my angel ahead of you. Oh, no, Moses says, if, you're, if your presence doesn't go with us, what else will mark this people? Think about it. What else marks the people of God? but the presence of God. And God gives them the book of his covenant. He tells them how to make the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. He meets with them. He gives them his law. It's a wonderful time. And then he leads them up to the southern border of Canaan. Understand that. The southern border near Gaza today. He says, I'm preparing you to go in and possess the land that I promised. Send out 12 spies, one for a leader from each of the 12 tribes, and they do. God says, be careful. Here's, he gives them a list of things in Numbers chapter 13. It's a great a, a methodology textbook for, for um, uh, descriptive ethnographic research. Thick description. You know, find out what's the land like. Is, is it green, well watered? Does it have trees? You know, all these things. Hilly, flat. Find out about all these things. Find out about the people. Are there few or many? Are they strong or weak? Do they live in villages or towns or walled cities? What are there? What's it going to be like? And they come back and they carry to them, carry this big staff between their shoulders. In the middle is a cluster of grapes so large one of them couldn't lift it. The place is called Eshkol because of the huge grape cluster, that's what it means. And they bring back that's called a field sample. And the people see it all and the twelve spies say, We've seen the land, it's really good. And look at its fruit, it flows with milk and honey. then, Then they say but look out for those words that word in particular when you're dealing with god that word but says i know all these things but (laughs) there's something that's in the way but but they say the people who live there are many and their towns are built high and strong they've got chariots in the valleys and they're even the, the descendants of Anak are up there. And they're really big. In fact, they're so big that we felt like grasshoppers compared to them. And we look like that to them too. how do they know that? Run up, tap, tap, tap. Do I look like a grasshopper to I thought so. No, they didn't. They're projecting their own fears. Now, God had not sent them with an evaluative uh, uh, research model where they're supposed to advise decision. No, they were to describe it and bring it back. Why? God wanted them to know the land was good. It was worth it. Two, that they couldn't take it in their own strength. Yes, that's true. But that with God before them, they most certainly Oh, they said, they lamented, our children, we're going to be wiped out. Our children will be slaves in the land. Our children will be slaves by the people of the land who defeat us. That's what they said. We're not going to go in. We're going to kill the people who, Joshua and Caleb, who try to urge us to go into the land. We're going to depose Moses and Aaron. We're going to go back to Egypt and the slavery From which we came. No. Think about that. Think about that. We want to go back. But there are times in Christian lives. Where people feel like. I'd rather just not be bothered. Having to follow Jesus. The cost is too high. I don't have the faith. To do it. I'm just afraid he's going to let me down when I get really in the thick of things. I just don't want to mess with it. I want to go back. God said, all right, here's what I'll do. First, he says, again, stand aside, Moses. I'm going to wipe him out again. <laughs> and I'm going to make out of you a new nation. And Moses again says, don't do it, Lord. For the honor of your name, don't do it. And please forgive these people. Listen. Forgive these people. And God relents. And he says alright. But they're going to travel round Sinai. Until everyone of this generation. Except Joshua and Caleb. who Who brought back a good report. Until all but they. Have dropped dead in the desert. And been buried. And the children that they said were going to be slaves conquered by the people of the land will be the conquerors of that land. Take possession of it according to my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob long ago. For the iniquity of the Amorite is now full. And the land will vomit them out from before the Lord. The people heard that and they said, oh no. No. This, that we, I can't handle that. All right, we're going to go up. We changed our mind. God said, no. Listen, the inflection point is past. Get that? The time for the decision is now over. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day. Of salvation. The prophet would later say. Your time, your opportunity for this decision is passed. There are decisions like that in life that God gives us and afterwards it's too late. He may say to us, marry only in the Lord and we willfully marry someone who's not a believer. A very dear uh, relative of mine did so. Now they may, that afterwards, God calls believers to stay in a marriage and not leave it just because their spouse is not a believer. But... That it brings heartache. Make no mistake. It brings heartache. And so there are times, inflection points. And this is one. And children of Israel said, no, we're going to do it anyway. And now they presumptively went into, as an army charging into, the land of promise. But now the Lord was not with them. And they were discomfited defeated, routed, and many fell slain. and They fled from the south of Canaan back into the camp, weeping and wailing, and with no prospect before them other than submitting to the judgment that God had pronounced. For 38 years, they wandered in the desert. God went before them. He provided for them. The children they thought surely would be raised as slaves. Grew up in stature. And became men and women of strength and dignity. And buried one by one. Their parents. Who had not believed. And this is the congregation. This is the assembly of the Lord. That is camped. On the verge of Jordan. Now understand. Two others had gone on just earlier, the previous chapter, been sent out by Joshua to check out the area around Jericho and the city itself. And you know the story, Rahab harlot hides them and so on. And she and her household will later be spared when Jericho falls. Her home was on the part of the wall, so not all the wall of Jericho fell. Do you ever think about that? God preserves his own through judgment. God can preserve his own Through judgment. So don't despair. Ever. When you see the storm clouds of of looming reckoning coming for a culture a society that turns its back on God. Be God's light. His covenant people. He will care for and preserve you. He's committed to it. The light of the presence of the witness of the covenant believing community of God will never be erased from this planet until Jesus comes back. In fact, it's gonna grow. It's growing today. Where do you think it's most trodden down and most depressed, most persecuted? Probably in the Muslim world and North Korea. Where is it growing fastest today? Well, in East Asia, particularly China, and across through places like, are you ready? Afghanistan and Iran how can that be? You don't read about that in the media, do you? Of course not. But I assure you it's true. Underground, a persecuted church is growing. Christ is on the march. Here are the people. They've got those, the two spies three days before have come back and told what they've learned how the people of Jericho are afraid of the God who leads the people. The problem is that the Jordan River is in flood stage. It wasn't easy for two spies to get over, lightly equipped, not in armor, and get back again. Upstream a ways, perhaps. But now you've got a host of people, men, women, little children, wagons, cattle, Uh gonna get them across a river and get them across a river without a bridge and one in flood stage (laughs) right that's why the next verse verse 5 Joshua says consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you see for this people to them Joshua and the leaders say, you have not gone this way before. The 12 spies, they've been in Canaan, but only two of them are here. Your parents rushed into, presumptuously rushed into Canaan, and they're gone. And of course, apart from the two spies who... Probably came a different route across the Jordan, but in any case, across. Apart from those two, as a as a whole, the congregation has not been this way before. It's a new generation. You're a new generation at CCC. Many of you are first generation believers. Others have been believers in a line of intergenerational, multi generational believers, and. But some of those have had weak links along the way. See, our trust is not in our generational line. It's what our line is anchored in. It has to be. The promises to you and to your children, also to all who are afar off, even to as many as the Lord our God will call. Oh, the iron curtain has fallen in just the last generation Uh, Instead of the inexorable march of the red tide, for those who remember that, and the fear. Now the world seems characterized by uh, global capitalism, more or less. And today, the greatest global threats to peace appear to emanate from militant Islamic extremism. It's a different world. Technology, medicine is so different. My surgery just a week and a half ago. It was amazing the difference in what the same procedures uh, are able to do from years before. We count on the Lord using that. He's not limited to that with our brother Philip Dunn. As we pray for him in hospital. But there, we've sent robots to Mars and men to the moon, discovered the so called God particle, you know, Higgs boson. I think that's a little overhyped. Uh, Media and, uh, you know, with 3D movies and so on, special effects are so much better, right? Um, we have uh, virtual realities in your living room now. Changes in travel and communication technology have affected uh, not only households, businesses. Trades, massive trades are conducted in nanosections and f- nanoseconds and fortunes won or lost that fast. Politics, it's, it's the Twitter, the tweets that spread the Arab Spring. And the sudden emergence, also, we ha- have uh, the discovery of substantial American uh, repositories of natural gas and oil available by fracking. And that could lead to American energy independence with reverberations throughout the country in the existing world order. Things are changing, but ne- not everything is good. In our own country and elsewhere in the West, we've witnessed the rapid disintegration of the borrowed capital of Christianity, as Cornelius Van Til and Francis Schaeffer called it. With the increasing disregard for the sanctity of human life and of marriage, we continue to turn the pages of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and find it spiritually, morally, and civically perilous. Brothers and sisters, this is the world in which God has placed you and me and has called us to bear witness to his grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Arguably, no generation has ever faced greater challenges. No generation has ever been confronted by greater opportunities for the kingdom and impact for the cause of Christ. A majority of all the human beings who will ever have lived in in history if Christ tarries will have lived during your lifetime if Christ tarries let's say another 40 years a generation longer. Everybody from Adam and Eve a majority of those whose footprints have marked the earth will have lived from the time you were born to the time that you die or Christ returns if he tarries 40 more years. That's astounding but we could demonstrate it statistically with the demographic growth of human population. Um, it's very clear that amidst the ominous and gathering storms of change, the horrendous persecution and opposition to Christianity across the heartland of Islam and elsewhere, uh, that nevertheless, Jesus Christ, unto whom all authority in heaven and in earth, that's not just power, it's the right to exercise that power, exousia, that he is on the march. He's summoning now, today, here at CCC, a rising generation of his servants to his banner, promising us his presence, promising us that it is he who will quite certainly build his church and promising us that the very gates of hell will not indeed cannot withstand it. But, listen, the particulars before us of that task in history are unique, okay? Specifics of the context are very, very different. This is not your father's Oldsmobile the old dad used to go. And it isn't. Our world has much changed. But the fundamental challenge of obedience to God's command has not changed. 34 centuries ago, God's people stood at the brink of the Jordan with a daunting task of possessing the land of promise that lay before them. And through Joshua, God gave specific directions for them to begin the task by crossing the Jordan River in full flood. And it took faith. It takes faith for us, CCC, to do the task before us. They were to follow the ark, which symbolized the presence of God, and from the verse that we've looked at today, God through Joshua tells the people, you've not gone this way before. So what do they do? Follow the presence of their captain and Lord. The ark symbolizes the presence of Christ, the New Testament. Writers make that very, very clear. And Jesus is the one who said, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them To obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the consummation of the age. With us. Emmanuel, God, immediately present with us. The ark was present with the people. (coughs) Pardon me, they were to keep a respectful half-mile. Between them and the ark. That also allowed everybody to see it because it wasn't so crowded around it. And the Levite, priests who were Levites carrying that, in. just imagine, put yourself there. They're carrying, what's it made of? Oh, well, a kind of acacia wood, yes, but it's overlaid with gold. And, well, on the top it has a lid, so it's made of gold, solid gold. It's pretty thick. And, And it has two seraphs, (laughs) seraphim in the plural in the Hebrew, Uh, with their wings outstretched toward the center, two angelic figures on the top, made of gold. (laughs) Uh, How heavy is gold? Pretty heavy. They're carrying this ark on poles, okay? Probably four Levites, one in each corner. They don't touch the ark, they're allowed to. And that's weight. And they're walking right into the water, and under the water is what? Mud. <laughs> Slippy, slidy mud. <laughs> okay. And that water's in flood stage, which means it's got a current to it. Move. Right. <laughs> it took faith. For those priests who are Levites to lead the way. And God calls his leaders to take steps of faith that are risky, as he calls his people to take steps of faith that are risky and to follow them. As they see God at work, moving, giving a vision that's clear that they all understand and are gripped by, and they move. And they're Methodology is different. They've had to embrace the covenant in their own right. You're standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. Moses had just previously said uh, a, uh, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, And he goes on to say, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. He goes on to say, for the Lord is your life. Each generation has its own challenges. It must embrace God's covenant and its promises in their own right. And has to believe that God will prepare for them, prepare them for each subsequent step of trusting obedience. They had already had battles with Amalek. They had already had battles with, with Moab and with um, Og, king of Bashan, and, and Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the Transjordan uh, nations that had come out to fight against them. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in the New Testament, There is no temptation overtaken you, but such as is it common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. God's faithful. There was a comedy some years ago, Flip Wilson, a comedian. And his famous words would, Devil made me do it. He'd never take responsibility for his own actions. Devil made me do it. No, friend. Devil doesn't make us do it. God's faithful, He gives us a way of escape. A good coach, step by step, trains a team, provides them with increasing challenges as opportunities for them to develop by applying what they've learned and by learning from new lessons. It's interesting to me. I watch uh, uh, the. Uh, Big Ten teams and the Southeast Conference teams, and very often it's front loaded with out of conference schedules that don't count for the, for the uh, SEC crown, for example, conference crown. And usually they're against those from leagues that can't stand up against the big boys, and, and the scores are overwhelming, and, and you think, well, <laughs> that's a relative patsy compared to a team that's full. Why are they doing that? There's a reason. And one reason may just be they're trying to pad their schedule and get a little confidence for they. But I think there's a different reason. In most cases, I think the coaches are trying to have brought their, uh, their uh, players through football camp in the summer, and they're now bringing their people, their teams, on to try things out, gain a little confidence, make mistakes, learn from them before the, the games that most count start uh, coming on the on the schedule, how much more does the Lord Jesus Christ build the church as his body into a glowing reflection of himself as we grow together through the difficulties of our trials, not brought onto us accidentally. Each experience he ordains for us is purposeful. Paul writes to Romans, God works everything together for the good of those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Notice that each generation's challenges may entail new approaches. You've not gone this way before. People have gone into the promised land, not you, but others have gone in the promised land, but they haven't gone this way. They went in from the south, you know, it was a little different, yes, but they're out commanded by the Lord from Kadesh Barnea, Barnea with the people uh, appointed 38 years later. It was very different. See, our methodologies must reflect the realities of our context, our situational, our historical place in the unfolding drama of redemption, which includes your story and my story in his story, his story. Small representative force with a covert mission, yes, that was the recon team sent out uh, with Joshua and Caleb, sent out by Moses, Kadesh Barnea, 38 years before, now you have an entire nation on the move with an over mission, they're not hiding, you can't hide them. Our appointed mission is nothing less than world encompassing today. Christ has said, go to all the nations, disciple every people group, bring, bring every thought captive to Christ. In the words of Lausanne, too, the whole church, bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. Our contention, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, powers, rulers of this dark world, spiritual wickedness in high places, and the, the weapons that God gives us. The armor he gives is spiritual. Our loins are middle, girt up by the preparation, of, by, by the uh, 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 by truth of Scripture, says, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of of faith that quenches all the fiery darts of the evil one, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and the bringing of every thought captive to Christ Jesus Wycliffe Associates now provides strategically specially designed pa- packages they call b That's an interesting term, b Bible Translation Acceleration Kits. <laughs> they include, listen, a solar power generation, a battery, a power supply, a laptop, and a satellite transceiver, all for under th- $3,000, that permits instant access to Bible translation resources From remote locations anywhere in the world. Jungle, desert. It saves travel time and avoids travel dangers by river and jungle paths. It's a wonderful uh, use of technology. But but there's still no substitute for personal relationships if we're to disciple the nations. As the daughter of uh, Cameron Townsend expressed to me. Some must still risk the dangers of going into all the world. And others must stand behind them at home in prayer and in our material and logistic support. The commandment of Christ is unaltered. Here, here at CCC, in the 13 or so years since CCC was established, I've only been here the last four, many of you uh, longer, but others much less. In that period of time, our county has changed. Our mission is to see changed hearts, changed lives, changed communities, to see Christ transforming lives and making disciples in northwest Georgia and beyond. That's our mission and our purpose. If we really mean that, we mean reaching out. What is that going to mean? Most of the people, I mean, the northwest Georgia is now the fastest growing non-white section of the Atlanta metro area. I look around in this room, and most of us are. Why? There are many, many people moving in who are not upper middle class, socioeconomically, educationally, college, and above. We find many, many people moving into this area who need the gospel, most of whom are unchurched, but you know what? They don't look like you or me. They come in, what do they see? They see faces that look like you and me. They hear music that I love, but may not resonate with the music of their culture and their heart. We've got some hard thinking to do, Christ community, because God has put us on a march, and the march isn't our personal comfort and convenience. Thinking through this text was convicting for me. Perhaps it will be for you as well. Our methodologies, you see, must remain consistent with what God has declared. Religious syncretism was and is expressly forbidden. We must carefully avoid the snares of idolatry in any form they may take, including the worldview and cultural heart idolatries regarding our root identity, our core beliefs and values, and our ultimate allegiance that press in on us on every side Below the surface and quite obvious. Our methodologies change, but our purpose doesn't. It's like raising a child, this is an illustration that I borrowed from Paul, the apostle in Galatians. It's like raising a child. When my child was very small, he's two years old, I said, You don't go in the street. Why? You don't go in the street. It's unsafe. Oh. Okay. You'll only go in the street if you're holding daddy's hand. Well, when he's two, when I'm carrying him when he's four, when he holds daddy's hand. When he's six, if he's with an adult and looks both ways. When he's eight, when he looks both ways, when he's not with an adult. And it's a back road. (laughs) When he's 10, (coughs) if it's a major road, but there's a, uh, he's in good company and there's protection there, a light or something, and he he looks both ways, watches the light and follows. You see what I'm saying? Our kids are now adults have any of those rules cross any road they want when they want (laughs) have autonomy what have i changed no the purpose all along was the same it was safety and responsibility and to bring up the children to understand those and incorporate them into their lives and so the circumstances of their growing changed so it is with god and his people Look through the Old Testament, how some of the things that pointed to Christ. Now, when Christ comes, those things are left behind, and we move on and forward. In your life, Christ Community Church, individually. God does that. He brings you through experiences that prepare you for others, and the methodologies he uses at one time, not necessarily best suited to every other or every brother and sister in Christ. He dealt that way with me, so you got to do it too. <laughs> be careful. God doesn't teach us all the same things in the same sequence. and We need to learn patience with each other and be ready to learn from one another. Finally, each generation's challenges call for commitment to further extend God's kingdom. You haven't gone this way before. It's not just a reconnaissance mission It's to occupy the land. It's to go and to stay there. Claim it. The call requires us to acknowledge that we're a pilgrim people whose citizenship ultimately is not of this age. The Israelites left behind Egypt, Sinai, the Transjordan, to lay claim to the promised land. So we today are reminded that this world is not our home, but our citizenship is in heaven. Canaan was representative of a land beyond itself. There remains yet, says the writer of Hebrews, a rest for the people of God. The call further demands from us our fullest commitment. The Israelites crossed Jordan, there'd be no turning back. The flood of the river would close in behind them. Jesus warns us that no one who's put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. There are, you know, many sh- heroes in the great story of redemptive history in the Bible. Yet all of them, every single one, are depicted with feet of clay. It's intentional. It's intentional. God is saying, This isn't the one. He's a hero. I've worked through him. It's not his strength, but mine that's shown. He still has faults. She still has faults. There's one who is coming, indeed, now has come, who is faultless, whose feet are not of clay, the great hero of the great story, the one who will never let you down or me. We but follow in his steps, trusting his spirit to enable us to follow him faithfully. Paul calls on the Philippians, he says. Uh, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Ultimately, it's God's grace working through us that's the dynamic which empowers his people, so that in the words of William Carey, when often called the father of modern missions, we may believe great things and attempt great things. Friends, the way we spend our time, our energy, and our resources, if you look at your checkbook, if you look at your appointment calendar, it can be convicting. See, that represents, in certain respect our treasure. There was a presidential candidate several years back who in a debate, nationally televised debate, uh, quoted uh, uh, the New Testament, quoted Jesus and his words, but got it wrong he says for where your heart is your treasure will be that's not what jesus said jesus said where your treasure is your heart will be now don't misunderstand he's not saying that if you give money your heart's made right see god owes you something it's transactional no 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 god jesus is saying there's the litmus test if you have a transformed heart it's going to show and how you live and your priorities. Where's your treasure? That's a litmus test for where's your heart? We've observed from our brief text that each generation faces its own challenges and that each generation's challenges may entail new approaches and that each generation's challenges call for commitment to further extend God's kingdom. It's still true that God calls each generation, to take up its appointed kingdom challenge for Christ. He's calling you today Christ Community Church. From the perspective of eternity, our lives are really very short indeed. I've begun to reflect more on the brevity of my own. Our lives' brevity, however, is not the measure of their significance. Our Lord Jesus' own life and public ministry was exceedingly brief, and yet it remains the hinge of history, the ultimate inflection point, about which all other events, civilizations, and individual lives move and find their meaning before the judge of all the earth and the shepherd of his people. Our world is changing. The rate of change is accelerating exponentially, but, listen, it is not out of control. Rather, it moves toward an appointed destiny and consummation. It is for such a time as this, quote from Esther, that you then, the members and friends of Christ Community Church, have been called by your Lord and have been equipped with resources far beyond the imagination of those who lived just half-century ago, let alone first-century believers huddled in their underground church, if you will. From the one to whom much has been entrusted, our Lord has said, much shall be required. Although the task before you is far too great for you, it is not too great for him who said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. To Joshua he said, Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And he still promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. True, you have not gone this way before, yet you have his grace, his promise, and his presence. Eagerness, not dread, should characterize your journey. For you advance under his standard, following in his steps. And his name is still Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner. And he has gone this way before. Amen.